It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Spurs Cast, episode 570. My name is Paul Garcia and I'm your host here on the Spurs Cast. Today, I'll be speaking with Project Spurs writer Steven Anderson about the Spurs' play in their last eight games. We'll look at where the Spurs stand at the All-Star break and what the road looks like for them as they try to make the playoffs. Lastly, we'll spend some time discussing DeJounte Murray's play so far this season. Let's get this episode started. Steven, how are you doing? Hey, Paul, how are you? Good to be with you. I'm, I'm doing well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how the Spurs have done the past couple of weeks. Yeah. So, OK, so so I have like a list written down of all the all of our all of my guests, you know, here on the Spurs cast that come on here. And your last time being on here was like right in early December. So at that yeah. time, the Spurs were barely getting to that early December groove where they were eight and 14. So they were 16 games. I mean, six games below 500, should I say? And, um, you know, look fast forward. And now since since you're last on the Spurs cast, they've gone 15 and 17. They still haven't played, you know, above 500 basketball during these last two months since you've last been on. Um but, you know, that's kind of where this team is, you know, as, as we're going to get into some more details here. So, Stephen, uh, and Spurs cast listeners, I know it's been a quite a while since, uh, since uh, you know, we, we've been here on the Spurs cast. Uh, just because, you know, we, we had, like, like I mentioned to you all, we we're going to take a break after the, after the uh, trade deadline and kind of come back with an episode because we thought that the Spurs might make a move. Of course, they didn't. Uh, Colin Reed did a great job of kind of putting forth a, um, a, a mini podcast, kind of just breaking down the whole trade um, deadline for the Spurs. So he did a really good job there kind of going through the scenarios and what he thought. So I think I thought that Colin explained it really well. So I, I didn't feel like we needed to do another Spurs cast episode on the trade deadline because Colin did really good there. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that episode, it's over in the Spurs cast feed if you want to listen to it. So, Stephen, it's been eight games since I last recorded. I'm just going to kind of go through a brief summary of, of how the team's done in these eight games. Um, and then, like, if you want, you can kind of just tell me what your thoughts are on the team right now as a, as a whole. So in their last eight games, they went three and five. So they were at home against Utah on January 29th. They beat the, the, the Jazz uh, by seven points. Then they st- they uh, they also had their last home game against the Charlotte Hornets, and they looked really good on February first. They 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 basically um you know demolished the Hornets. They won by twenty four points. They they led by as many as twenty nine that night. Actually twenty four. Then the rodeo road trip starts, and here it goes, and it just starts going <laughs> bad for the Spurs. They they're playing at the Clippers on on February third. They were up by fifteen, but they end up losing that game by three points. The next night they're in, they're at the Lakers. Uh, they just pre- pretty much got demolished there. They they were down by as many as twenty seven points. They lost by twenty seven. Should I say? Um, then on, on February 6th, they go to Portland and, uh, they're up by 10 points in this game, but then again, they lose the game by eight points. They go to Sacramento. This one's a little bit closer, uh, on February 8th, they do lose to the Kings by 20. The Kings kind of go crazy, but from three in the fourth quarter and then just basically make it look like a blowout at the end. Uh, then they go to Denver on February 10th and they're up by 23 points, 20 plus points. And they drop the game and they lose by seven points. Denver makes that comeback. It's the second game this year where the Spurs have lost a 20 point lead. The other one was a Houston game earlier in the year. And then finally, 
Uh, on their last game before the, the All-Star break begins on February 11th, the Spurs beat the Oklahoma City Thunder by eight points on the road. Um, they were up by as many as 14 points San Antonio. And I should note that in that Denver game and also in that OKC game, the Spurs were without DeMar DeRozan, who's, who's been out the last two games uh, with back spasms. So, so far, Stephen... Uh, you know, in those last eight games, they're three and five. But then when you look at really just focusing on the rodeo road trip, they're having a tough time there. They're one and five. And it's weird. Again, like I said, they they lead in a lot of games, but then they just don't finish these games. So so what have you thought about this team right now that they sit 23 and 31, the number 10 offense uh, and the number 25 defense? Well, I'm going to be blunt. First off, um, it's been a very, very, very frustrating season to this point, Paul. Um, as you know, as you Obviously, we both have covered this team. I've covered I, since I joined Project Spurs back in 2014. Uh, I had the fortunate time of seeing them win that fifth NBA championship right when I joined, so that was really cool. But obviously, these past couple of years have been a little bit harder than that. Um, you know, talking about the numbers you just ran through. What's interesting in what you just said is they led in a majority of those games yes. on that road trip. They led in L.A. against the Clippers. They Obviously, we both know they led in Denver by 23. They were leading against Portland. I mean, and they just can't close it out. So it proves to me that they are capable of beating some of these teams because we've seen them have leads against them. It's just something – I don't know what it is in that fourth quarter – that just happens to get the guys. In, I'm not really sure. But mentally, they just can't focus them for those last 12 minutes, or they run out of gas. Now, running out of gas, I will say that game against the Clippers, I was thinking, okay, they're they have a, a solid chance of winning because even though they were up 15 and Clippers made their run, the Spurs will still win it until that last what two or three three or four minutes of the game. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and then they go into LA or they were in LA already, but they play the Lakers the next night, LeBron James. Well, he's LeBron James. He's going to do what mm-hmm. he does. And obviously that's where that one ended. But Paul, the Spurs, a majority of this, not, not even on this road trip. I know we're talking about the road trip, but the season as a whole, since I was last on, I mean, they are capable of beating some of these teams, but they just can't close it out. And I don't know if it's, the fact that they had an issue internally. I'm not suggesting that, by the way. I'm just throwing spitballing out there. Or, I mean, because this is basically the same team as it was a year ago. Just adding John T. Murray to that mix. Lonnie Walker is more in the mix now than he was a year ago. Um, so it's basically the same team. So I'm not 100% sure what's going on with this team. But I do know it is frustrating to watch, particularly when it's just – Maybe some of the rotations are still kind of wonky. I don't know. It's, it's a whole thing, but it's just a very frustrating season to this point. Yeah. And, you know, we're at the point, too, where, like, you know, I, I really feel bad for you because you have to kind of write, uh, you have to recap every <laughs> single game. So, like, I don't know what, what you have to say. I mean, it's almost like it's just a very repetitive thing. You know, I've, I've done uh, several Spurs cast episodes this season where, it looks like they're they're on a good trend, and it looks like oh wow they're they're actually getting to get together on defense, or they've done this on offense and really like created this little dynamic. And then all of a sudden we come back like a week later, and here they go they've lost three in a row, or they lost four yeah. in a row, and it's just like it's just been a very repetitive pattern. And obviously we can see they're at, they're at a low point again um, outside of this OKC game where they're losing a lot of games. You know they were on a, a on a on a few game losing streak, and it's just like it's just wild that the numbers like you just mentioned there, Stephen. You know I'm pulling up their numbers right now on Project Spurs Premium. They they lead on the average night by 12 points. So basically, yeah. the Spurs are up in every game by 12 points, but then they fall behind by. I have it right here. Let's see. Uh, 
13 <laughs> points a night. They, so basically, they lead by 12 in the same game, but then on the average game, also they're going to they're going to fall behind by 13 points. And we obviously know that that pattern is normally in the first half of the game where they're going to be leading and playing really good basketball, and then it's the second half of the game that the second half teams just I don't know if they figure them out at halftime. They figure out hey, we can be attacking you know Demar Rosen, Brent Forbes, etc., or, or doing this kind of thing against the Spurs scheme, and then they just start launching threes, and it's pretty much over. So I mean, it's it's just a very I mean that, that's like the probably consistent thing about it is that at least like the Spurs are good at a part of the game where they're up by 12 but then they're also good at they're also bad consistently where they just fall behind by 13 go ahead i will say that in that i i, I that denver game sticks out more than anything among the, these losses paul because that denver game they're up by 23 obviously mm-hmm. you got jamal murray you have you know um uh, paul Millsap off the bench who played very well that game i mean you got of course you got the joker uh nikola nikola Jokic who played well in that game but the spurs was i guess the spurs was still in it in, until the very last few minutes of that fourth quarter but here's what's more frustrating paul this is what's frustrating you have guys like a a rudy gay a veteran you have lamarcus Aldridge, a veteran you have some of these guys out there who have been in the NBA for three, four, five, six years. Mm-hmm. And when Denver's making that run, particularly in the, when you're down, I think it was 107 to 104, whatever, whatever the score was at that point, you have a chance to get the offensive rebound. You got guys just standing there watching mm-hmm. Jokic get that rebound. He kicks it out to, I think it was Craig in the corner and Craig stands there for like three seconds waiting for someone to come guard him. Nobody ever did. And of course he makes the open three, the lack of effort in that play in that whole sequence, Paul sums up the Spurs season right there. You're not making the effort to go get the rebound. You're not making an effort to go, go get out outside into the perimeter and go guard. I mean, it's the little things that are killing this team. That, and I, 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 uh, I saw. I'm not sure who wrote the article, but somebody on Project Spurs wrote that article that the Spurs. Maybe it was you. I don't know. But maybe the Spurs leads are kind of they're losing their leads are kind of killing their playoff chances, and that's true. I mean, if you go if you go back and you look at some of those leads the Spurs have had, and let's say they would have kept those leads, mm-hmm. they may be at the eight seed right now, considering what. Uh, some of the other teams are doing around the league right now and considering how stacked that seven to 10 spot is the Spurs could possibly be in playoff position right now if they would have kept some of those leads so that's what's more frustrating than anything seeing the lack of effort from these guys and again is this the same team as a year ago yeah like like you just said there Stephen. think about this like like they've lost six games where they've been up by 15 so what does that say imagine if they won all six of those games they right now would have six more wins. That that would be 29 wins right now. They would be the AC. They literally would be a better record than Memphis as of right now that you and I are recording this conversation on a Thursday night. So you're right. I mean, I think I think that that's pretty like right there. Like I said, the, the, when they were up by 15, they're they're 13 and six this season. The fact that they've lost six games where they've been up by 15, they again they just can't close out games. Their, their worst moments come usually in crunch time. And you were close there. Uh, it was actually a Fernando Garcia, our new writer, who actually okay. wrote that article. But it's really good. And I was going to mention it here at the end of the podcast. At least you got the Garcia part right. So that's good. You're halfway right. He's not really to me though by the way so um at least i don't think he is uh anyway so yeah that, that's a really good article i'm gonna kind of promote here at the end of the episode but yeah steven you actually just brought up a great point the fact that i mean ha- had they solved these these leads um you know you know fixed them and, and won these games you know they probably would be at the eight right now but again it goes back to you know losing about below 500 teams losing a lot of their home games to mm-hmm. some teams that they should have beaten like cleveland comes to mind atlanta just oh, a lot of those, those teams that these games that you know, there's a reason why is we're going to get into our next segment in a little bit about why this it's almost like a, a mountain for them to climb. It's really tough the road that they have ahead to try to keep that playoff streak alive. Um, 
one thing I want to talk about real quick that as you were going through this is like even like Vegas, uh, I've noticed throughout the season they've had trouble, you know, pretty much like giving the Spurs odds like what what they expect them to win or lose by because normally the Spurs are a good team, you know, they 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 they're pretty consistent and and it wasn't until late that they've started to finally become a, a below five hundred team. I mean, not below five hundred, below um you know a, 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 an underdog team where now they're literally every night on the average night they're actually an underdog finally and, and for the majority of the season they still had been a favorite and again it's just even that expectation where i think even vegas doesn't know what to do with them like like you know are they really going to drop these games that kind of thing so so yeah um what did you think real quick before we move on from these most recent games what have you thought about Dejounte murray and uh Derek white's play uh, becoming the lead ball handlers for the Spurs in those two games that DeMar was out? Because I, I know that we saw Murray get a career-high t- uh, 25 points in the game against OKC. Uh, I was looking at s- s- some some numbers, and Derek White just got to the free throw line at will uh, as he be- had to become the secondary ball ha- ball handler for the Spurs. Uh, so what do you think that's going to say about their future the day that, you know, whether it's the summer when DeRozan leaves the team or, you know, after his contract ends, but just into the future that these guys, you know, what, what they're capable of if they can become the lead ball handlers? See, I, I kind of, this is going to sound really bad, but I don't think how it's going to come out. But I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of like the fact that you got DJ and you got uh, Derek White as the main ball handlers. I mean, the mm-hmm. you you look at, I mean, I, I still, I mean, that, that dunk from DeJounte in that OKC game has been replayed over and over on Twitter. I mean, that's, that shows his athleticism, number one. And number two, I'm I'm still stunned right now that they actually won that OKC game, but that's another conversation. But I mean, for them to be the primary ball handlers is something... I've been wanting from the from Pop and to see what he would do with those two on the floor at the same time. When he has those two on the floor at the same time, it looks like a completely different team. Um, I'm, not, I'm not taking anything from DeMar DeRozan. He's a very good player. He's a good scorer. I'm not saying anything like that. What I am saying is that I think that is the future of the Spurs team going forward, whether it's the rest of this season, which is probably unlikely as long as DeMar DeRozan is there, or going into next season. And I mean – Let's let's play hypothetical. Let's say Demar does come back. He opts into that deal, which I mean, I would be surprised if he didn't, but we'll see. Um, and I would say going forward, you need to make DJ and and Derek White your, your primary ball handlers. You have to play them on the floor at the same time. One, it's a very good defensive defensive lineup. Number two, number one with them in there. Demar is a good scorer, but he is limited defensively, much like a Bryn Forbes, like a Marco Bellinelli. He is limited off uh, defensively. Um, Lamarcus had great games when Demar mm-hmm. was out. Yeah, that's another that's another point. We you uh, for sure you and yeah. I have talked about this, and uh, on the Spurs takeover with Jar Garcia, we 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 also talked about it there. Where Demar, De, I mean, excuse me, uh, Lamarcus is the type of player that needs to get his touches. He needs to get into rhythm, all that type of stuff. And with Demar out, obviously, we you and I both know they fed Lamarcus more. He got into that rhythm. He played a better game. So I think. This team cannot coexist with LA and Demar. I think we 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 both have seen that. It's not. It, it may work for a few games here and there, but Lonnie, DJ, Derek White, all those core is going to be the Spurs core moving forward. And if you're going to be taking it to the quote unquote next level, you mm-hmm. need to have Derek White and Dejounte Murray as your main two ball handlers moving forward. Yeah, and, and you know I've seen this going this kind of argument going around on Spurs Twitter, and it, it's it's almost like not fair to Demar 
But just the group that's kind of built around him this year doesn't really work out. And we're seeing that play out, you know, as, as we've seen, like I said, you know, where, where, they, where they kind of stand on the team. And you're right, Steven. It's like the fact that, like, he's a really efficient player. The problem is he has to have the ball in his hands. And if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's not a shooter. He's even like Murray at least takes open wide open threes. DeMar does not even take those shots. He doesn't. He basically the, uh, the defenders will sag off of him and it really cripples your offense when like when you have Murray being your late ball handler or Derek or, or even like, like a Marcus. So it just doesn't work. Uh, when 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 uh when Demar's there, I mean it works, but you know again he he doesn't have a role when he's off the ball. That's the problem here, and 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 I think that Dejounte at his best would be better with the ball in his hands, as we kind of seen mm-hmm. these last two games. I know it's a very small sample size. I do want to say that, but we've seen you know there's a reason why he got 25 points at a career high, and and his and like we're gonna get we're gonna really dig into Dejounte in a little bit, Spurs cast listeners. So that's kind of our player we're gonna highlight. But then even Derek White, like I was saying, like he's just getting to the free throw line at will on his drives. Um, in these last two games without Demar, he gets to have more of an expanded opportunity as well, and off to kind of create for everybody uh and we saw what, what Derek White's capable of we saw that last year um when, when he was a starter with DeJounte out and so so again uh it, it's it's just it's almost like a mix of of, of of the of the players their strengths just do not mix together on this team and we're kind of seeing that play out right now and especially of course with the um fact that also like DeMar has it has his lapses on defense where, 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 where he struggles there and then you know he's in there next to Bryn Forbes and a lot of his lineups it just doesn't work out that way and we're seeing you know if they don't make the playoffs we're going to know that this unit just doesn't work together with these kind of rotations a lot of these players so they do have a big summer coming up um I, I do expect DeMar, you know, once he gets healthy from these back spasms, that he will be back in the lineup for these last few games. I mean, this last like 20 plus games uh, before the season ends. I don't think Pop would, you know, make a drastic move to not put him back in the lineup. So, so you know, we're probably going to see a lot more of the same. And we'll just kind of see, I guess, in this final 28 games, if De, if De, DeJounte and Derek can keep up this kind of productive, uh, more aggressive, assertive play with DeMar next to them. But again, I, I don't think it's fair to them either to expect that on them when, when he's going to have the ball the majority of the time. It's just hard because, like, you know, it's just they're, they're, they're a lot more. All three of them are guards who, who need the ball kind of in a way. And, and it's just they can't play to their strengths when, when, when one of them's kind of taking the ball the whole time. And it's just kind of the way the roster's built this year. Uh, and again, it could change in, in, in the future. Yeah, it definitely could, and I—I I, I mean, it will. I mean, I, I don't see a reason why it wouldn't change in the yeah, future. Sure. And I mean, like I like I said, you're right. Demar needs to be that player that has the ball in his hands, is particularly in that fourth quarter down the stretch. Uh, we we've heard Pop say it before. We've heard guys in interviews say it before, like Rudy and Patty and all that. You know, Demar's our go-to player. We want him to close the game for us. You know, that type of stuff. But and, I'm, and again, I don't mean this in a negative way, but Demar's history of closing games is not the best. I'm just going to leave it at that. And mm-hmm. he has a history of not being a clutch player, and we, we we've all heard him. I'm not going to go into it. We've all heard him. So, but you know, Dejounte Murray can hit big shots. He can attack the paint. Derek White, we as we saw last year, as you said, he can attack. He's gained that confidence. So we got, and we will talk about Dejounte later. But I mean, I think it should change moving forward, and I'm ex- actually excited to see that change moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and again, you know, at the end of the day, one thing that Fernando wrote in that article that he really kind of highlighted was that even like in the fourth quarter, the Spurs offense doesn't drop off too much. It's really it, it all comes down to their defense, really. Like in the third and fourth quarter, it just falls completely apart, and that's kind of. The, the main issue here is that their defense is the reason why they're they're struggling and why they you know they're one and five on the rodeo road trip and just where they're at in the season as a whole. All right, Steve, let's move on to our second topic and this is kind of looking at the um, the road that the Spurs have to go go through. It's a very grueling road to try to keep their playoff streak alive. You know they haven't missed the playoffs since Tim Duncan since before Tim Duncan was drafted. We all know the story there that twenty plus years of playoff streaks. It's really really in, 
and and um on on its like final breath here uh, in, the, in in these last twenty eight games, if the Spurs can't put some huge extraordinary run together uh, that I'm going to go through in, in the math and where, where where they'd have to go. So they have. 28 games when they come back from the All-Star break. Uh, that'll be in about a week and a half from, from now. I mean, over a week from now that Steve and I are recording this episode. So where everything stands right now, uh, Memphis is uh, uh, is 8th right now, 28 and 26. Uh, Portland's ninth at 25 and 31. The Spurs are 10th, 23 and 31. The Pelicans are also 23 and 31 with the Spurs. However, as Steven and I are recording this, it's it's on the evening and they're actually participating in the game right now. So if they win that game, they'll be they'll have a they'll be in 10th. Or if they lose that game, they'll still stay in 11th. Uh, Phoenix is right there in that with that group at 22 and 33, and then Sacramento is at 21 and 33. So really, um, from spots eight through 13 is kind of where you're looking at. There's there's a lot of teams uh, jumbled in there. So Stephen, the scenarios the Spurs would need to get to right now. So let's just say that Memphis finishes where they're supposed to project to finish, which is, which is forty-three wins. So the Spurs would need to get forty-four wins in order for them to do that. They'd have to go twenty-one and seven to end the year. Again, twenty-one and seven. Are they capable of doing that? Let's just look at some past data from this season. From the start, one one of the things that Brett Brown uh, has mentioned in the past, uh, and I've kind of talked about this on the Spurs cast. Spurs cast listeners know this if you've listened to the episodes, is that the Spurs always had two different time, three different timelines for evaluating their team. They used the start of the season to Christmas, then after Christmas to the All Star break, and then of course from after the All Star break until the playoffs. You know, assuming that they would get there. So from the start of the season to Christmas, Stephen, they've been they went twelve and seventeen. That's a twenty nine game sample size. Again, twelve and seventeen. From after Christmas to the All-Star break, they went 11-14. and 14. That's a 25-game sample size. So we can see here that that they're not even once in these two different um, timelines so far this season have even got over a 500 record during that time frame. And so, again, they would have to – right now, Phoenix finished with 43 wins – not Phoenix. Memphis finished with 43 wins. They need to go 21-7. and seven. Steven, uh, do you think that this team right now, from what you've seen, is capable of going 21-7 and seven the last 28 games? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just to, point, just to be, answer the question, no, I don't. I mean, uh, first of all, the Spurs have not missed the play, missed the playoffs since I was two. I mean, I, I've watched this Spurs wow. team in the playoffs my entire life up to this point. Mm. Let's put it that way. I think this will be the first time in my lifetime that the Spurs haven't made the playoffs because to answer the question, no, I do not believe the Spurs will make the playoffs this year. Uh, I don't see them going away. You said 21 and seven. No, I, I don't see that happening at all. Um, I see them maybe going 500 at best because mm-hmm. that's what they've done up to this point so far. Um, but look at the rest of the road trip, Paul. They got OKC again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who they have after that because I'm looking at one game at a time at this point. But uh, look at the rest of their schedule even after that. It's a very difficult. You have a couple of very good teams they're going to be playing. You also have some not very good teams that they're going to be playing. And you said it point blank earlier. They are losing to teams that they should have beaten. Uh, you said Cleveland earlier. Uh, Atlanta mm-hmm. comes to mind. Yep. Um, you know, some of the. Uh, I'll I'll give you this on opening, and I I take this, and I know it's, oh, it was a first game of the season, but opening night when they barely beat the New York Knicks, mm-hmm. I get it was opening night. You, your teams are start learning each other, gelling together, but that really set the tone for what this season was going to be. Um, you're up. By double digits, you barely win the game, um, you know, all that type of stuff that we've been talking about. So as much as I would say, yeah, you know, the, the, the fan part of me is like, oh, I want them to make the playoffs, but let's, let's be realistic. I don't see them making the playoffs at all. I, I think they're probably going to end up either nine or 10. Uh, they're not going to get a top 10 draft pick, unfortunately. They're, they're, they're going to be, they're going to get a good draft pick, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be you no know, number one, two, three, four. It's not, unless they trade up. So, no, I mean, I think 
I think them missing the playoffs will actually help them moving forward rather than hurt them. Yeah, I'm with you there where I don't see them making the playoffs, uh, you know, based on the road that they have ahead. Like I said, if Memphis were to get 43 wins, which it looks like they are, I mean, because the Memphis is playing really good basketball going into the All-Star break. The Spurs need to go 21 and 7 again. We don't have the data there to show that this team can get it together. Uh, they just cannot, they, you know, they even have trouble winning consecutive games. And you mentioned, you know, even for one, they have a lot of tough opponents left to Spurs. But then also when they even have the, the, the easy teams, they're 13 and 13. I'm looking at the record right now. They're, they're a 500 team against below 500 teams right now. So it's not even like when you get those easy teams, those are a given win for the Spurs. Spurs this year it, it, it's a very um you know you don't know if you're gonna if they're it's like basically a coin toss at this point if they're gonna beat those teams and so I guess if you want any kind of hope that if you're if you're a Spurs fan you know hoping that they get into the playoffs here here's what you would I guess um uh um, you know hope for is that the fact that Memphis does have the toughest schedule in the league out of all 30 teams they have the toughest schedule according to Tankathon uh with the 55.4 percent um opponent strength of schedule then eighth is Phoenix at um, with the toughest schedule. The Spurs are, have the twentieth toughest schedule, so you know not bad. You know, bottom ten for the Spurs. The Kings have an easier schedule than the Spurs at twenty first. The Blazers have an easier easier schedule than the Spurs at twenty fifth. And then here's what's scary for San Antonio: New Orleans has the easiest schedule left in the league according to Tankathon. And again, New Orleans as of as of the night that you and I recorded this, Stephen, they were they are tied in the record with San Antonio, and they still got to play each other three more times. They've only played once so far this season. As Zion's getting better, he's getting healthier, getting more acclimated to the NBA game. And so Spurs cast listeners, you know, this isn't just me and Steven giving our opinion where we really think that the road is tough right now where the Spurs sit and from what we've seen this year for them to go 21 and seven or, or even have a chance of making the playoffs. Um, but also, uh, I, I put this out to different fans. So uh, the night, Stephen, that the Spurs didn't make a trade, uh, I just put a very simple question on my Twitter um, and, and I put a poll out and I just said, uh, uh, you know, do you think the Spurs are going to make the playoffs after they didn't make a trade? And seventy-eight um, percent of voters said no. They all, you know, they all said no. And and uh, that was eight out of eight hundred six voters after a few hours that I let it that I kept that poll live. Then today, Stephen, before you and I started recording, I put this poll out. I said, do you think the Spurs can go twenty-one and seven if they have to to to, to beat Memphis in those forty-three wins? And an overwhelming majority, eighty-four percent, said no that they can't do that. Uh, that they won't. That they won't um, go twenty-one and seven. So and that was I was out of almost six hundred voters. So so. So again, you know, it's not just us giving our opinion. It's also the, where the, the fans' expectations are. I think a lot of fans are bracing for the fact that a lot of them who are younger, like you mentioned, like yourself, Stephen, who either weren't born when the Spurs didn't last make the playoffs or who were very young, like toddlers when, when it happened. Myself, I think I was either in elementary or middle school. I was around, I was around that age of uh, time frame. So, so it's going to be like a, it's going to be different for San Antonio. Just the fact that if they don't get in there in these final twenty-eight, that it's just going to be like wow, like basketball is literally over on April fifteenth for the first time. You know, it's it's just, it's just over. Um, so you know. We'll see, you know, technically they're not out. So we're going to obviously cover the team as if they're still trying to get there. But like we mentioned, you know, this road looks really tough for them. Um, one thing before we move on from this topic, Stephen, uh, I did mention the trade deadline. Um, were you surprised that they didn't make a, a move or, or is that kind of your expectations? No, that's my expectations. I mean, Pop is the type of player, or Pop of player, sorry, type of coach uh-huh. that does not like to um, make moves at the trade deadline. He He's... I mean, he's admitted as much in interviews. He even said it uh, when they asked him on the traded line. Um, he's like, no, so we're not a team that typically makes moves at the traded line. I mean, but I've seen on Twitter, fans have tweeted me, fans have even tweeted you, um, saying, you know, let's let's make a trade. What's the worst that could happen? You know, they're probably going to end up losing. They're losing now. What's the worst that could happen? Lose more games. Let's hypothetically say the Spurs made a trade. One, unless it's a really good asset they're going to get in return, Pop is not going to play that player He because the player doesn't know the system. 
Um, we, we, you, if you want to look at it, I mean, it was a minor trade, but when they traded Andre Colo for Austin Day, um, Austin Day barely touched the floor when he was in San Antonio. That's the type of thing I'm talking about, where unless it's a major player, like you're trading LaMarcus and DeMar for, I don't know, a Nikola Jokic or something, then of course that guy's going to play. Of course, that's a completely made up trade because that would never happen. Denver's not that dumb to pull that <laughs> deal. But I mean, I mean, you know, so I mean, yeah, I mean, unless you're getting a major player return, you're not going to see that player play under Pop's system, under Pop's um, rules that he has set up going with the team right now. And I understand that. But for those people thinking, oh, a trade would help this team. I don't think it would. I mean, you need a complete overhaul at this point to help this roster. This roster, as good as this team was, or as as constructed last season, I think they were lucky to get in the playoffs, and I think we're seeing the benefit of the repercussions of that now this year. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I agree with you there. That you know, let's just say they had made a trade. I just didn't see a move out there that would have gotten them at least to the playoff spot where they could go like twenty-one and seven, like we're talking about what they have to do right now, just based on, on where they stand. I don't see that kind of uh, deal that was out there. Uh, you know, if, if anything, like me and Mike, you know, really went into detail on the last Spurscast episode. We went through every single player and thought of our, you know, what was the reasoning if they did get traded. And we, you know, there were some players there on the fringe where we thought, you know, maybe because they're going to be free agents like Marco or Brynn or you know Rudy Gay's kind of had like an off year. You know, those kind of players or, or even Lamarcus and DeRozan. And we, we did hear some some rumors about them being mentioned in, in different deals, but you know, nothing actually ever happened uh, on trade night uh, for the Spurs. So you know, I wasn't I wasn't surprised either. Uh, like you mentioned, like like you just said, there, Stephen, there wasn't really a deal out there where they were going to actually improve this team's winning. Now, maybe they could have got some assets back in case, you know, DeRozan does try to leave this summer if he opts out or something like that. Then that was also, you know, that was something that they missed out on. But I, I didn't expect a trade to happen. Uh, one more thing before we move on. Um, in about two weeks, the playoff eligibility deadline is going to come up, the waiver deadline. So what does that mean? That means that any player that's going to get bought out between now and March 1st, uh, they, they have to be bought out of their contracts or, or waived in order to sign with the playoff team. So is there anyone on the Spurs roster, Stephen, that you think that that could happen to in the next two weeks where they, where they come to a buyout with the Spurs? And I know Damari Carroll is the favorite there, but it's been really it's been really interesting because with him because uh, there's, there's two parts. One is like we know for sure that he, he and the Spurs were working together, his agent, to get him a, a deal at the trade deadline, and that didn't happen, obviously. Jabari Young of um, CN, CNBC reported that uh, during the trade deadline, that they are at least worked. So that's kind of what we, we've all expected. damari has been sitting out of games. They don't want to, you know, they don't want him to get injured uh, if they were trying to hold him out to, to get him traded. However, now that the trade deadline's gone, it's really it's really murky because he does have multiple years. He's not your your usual de- your usual buyout player. Normally, buyout players like like we've seen with Marvin Williams and the Hornets and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, when you get bought out, it's because you're in the final year of your contract. Right now, Demari's on a, on a situation where if he were to get bought out, he would actually be affecting the Spurs books for not only next season but also the following season, the next two years. Even though it's a minor cap hit, it's still a cap hit. So, what do you think's yeah. going to happen with him? And also, I would also throw out the name Marco Bellinelli, Bellinelli mm-hmm. to you. What do you think? What do you think the, the situation with those two players is? That deadline comes up here in two weeks. Well, well before you went into it, I was actually going to say Marco Bellinelli before you even went into that. But uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, for I'll go back to the the Demar Carroll thing. I mean, it's a weird situation, Paul. That, that whole scenario is weird because you sign a guy for multiple years and he doesn't touch the floor. It may be in garbage time. And I get he doesn't know the system. We've heard rumors he doesn't know the system. You know, he's having trouble learning the defensive schemes. I mean, I get that. Marco Bellinelli uh, said point blank, uh, I think it was 2014 or 2015. I'm not really sure which year that was, that the Spurs system takes a full year to learn. It's Mm -hmm. a very difficult system. It takes a full year to learn, you know, all that type of stuff. So that 
still concerns me. Like, why is this guy not playing? Is there something going on? Like, does Pop not like his fashion choices? I mean, there's something going on that, that with with Damari Carroll right now, and I'm not really sure what that is. And we've seen him posting on Instagram and on Twitter, you know, some really deep stuff. And I mean, I don't know. It's just a weird situation. I don't see him being bought out. I could see him being traded in the off season, possibly if if it's. If it's going to come down to that, but the Marco Bellinelli one, Paul, is is what I would really look my eye on. There was rumors that Marco was uh, possibly uh, lined up to be traded at some point. Yeah, he was also uh, in the rumors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was rumored to be traded at some point. Obviously, obviously that didn't happen, but I could see him being bought out and being sent to a playoff team or to or to a team possibly want to make the playoffs. I mean, we saw that happen uh, whenever he went to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia he had a nice time with Philadelphia um, before that. So. It's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward with that. Yeah. Uh, well, first, I'll spend some time with Marco. I I, I agree with you. Like, the, the, so what I was thinking is like, you know, if he just sees that Lonnie basically takes that role and, and they do want to develop Lonnie more, just give him minutes and not have to worry about looking behind his back, behind his shoulder, should I say, if someone's going to come in there and kind of take his minutes if he misses a defense assignment or he misses a shot or whatever, you know, a decision. I was thinking maybe they would buy a Marco and let him, you know, go and sign with like a playoff team. Uh, but the thing is, like, as I'm looking at the calendar, there's only going to be like one, two, three, four games before that deadline comes for the Spurs left. And so I think that if they like, let's just say they, they lose those four or they go one and three in those four, then I think that they pretty much know they're out of the playoff picture for sure. And so I think that they would buy him out. But if they win all four of those games where they're like three and one and they're still competitive and it's still kind of alive, their playoff um, hopes, then I think that they, they don't. So I think it's more so dependent on them as they do as a team if whether or not Marco gets bought out. The Carroll situation, like I mentioned, is just really interesting because, again, the fact that he's not a, a player on the last year of his deal, he's a, he's a player who has three years left, um, well, this year and then you know the next two years. So that's the reason why I'm, I'm not so 100% sure that they would buy him out because there's going to be money affecting their books the next two years. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people who's shocked that he's not playing because I think that the, the, the player who's taken his minutes is Trey Lyles because would you play – basically, these are the players that are taking all of any kind of minutes for Damari Carroll. It's, it's Trey Lyles. It's DeMar DeRozan. Lonnie Walker and Rudy Gay. Those are the four players because those are the guys that play all the minutes of the three and the four right now. Um, so, like, my question would like, be, like, who does, he, who does he pass up? I think the fact that Trey Lyles emerged as a player that Pop really likes, a player that we've seen has really good skills on defense as far as being a good switchy defender. He's starting to shoot the three pretty well, driving a little bit more. I think that Trey Lyles is the player that really messed it up for, for Damari Carroll because I didn't think the Spurs mm-hmm. had high hopes for him. But he started earlier in the year, and he's kind of kept that job ever since, and Pop's really liked Trey Lyles' game. Do you agree with that, um, with that? kind of a th- theory, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, you said a point blank that, yeah, to, to, uh, Trey Lyles took that job and to really, and Trey Lyles to this point has surprised me. I mean, coming in, I was like, Oh man, we got Trey Lyles. Like that was my first thought when they signed him. And now he's, he's done very well. He's, he's done very, very well for himself. And I, I think uh, he's proven a lot of people wrong this season. Uh, I have a feeling you were going to ask me, who would you substitute out of that lineup? And my answer would be, Rudy Gay because yeah, Rudy has not played. You said you said it yourself right now. Rudy's had a, a down year. He's is an up and down year. He's been very inconsistent. Damari Carroll that we know of, he's a three and D guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays very good defense. He can hit the three. We saw that in Brooklyn. Um, again, you're losing. What's the worst that could happen if you put Damari Carroll in instead of Rudy Gay? You lose another game. I mean, at this point, why not just try it? But I think that relationship is too far gone now, unfortunately. 
Yeah, or even like you know, really, they, you could just put him in for Brent Brent Forbes's minutes. Um, you know, even though he's not a two anymore that these works, days, yeah. but and just defensively, it's going to help you out a lot more. You know, he may not hit his three like Brent. So again, there's different ways they could have utilized him. It looks like they haven't. I, I again, we'll see now because since he didn't get it traded, well, I, there's going to be two outcomes here. Um, you know, as, as when they come back as a team against the Jazz on the 21st. You know, is he with the group? Because he wasn't like Jeff McDonald reported, he wasn't even on the rodeo road trip. Um, this whole time he's been he's been away from the team, and even when he was with the team. He was always in a suit the last like five five or six games, you know, when, when healthy. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, I go to the AT&T Center. I'd see him sitting there behind the bench. Um, so that's kind of what we, we got to keep an eye on with Damari is, you know, is he still part? Is he still with the group? Is he is he dressing out on the active roster or is he like in a suit or is he just not even there? If he's not even there, he's not even dressing out. Then I think that's going to give us a hint that he's probably headed toward a buyout. If he's there, he's in uniform or even pop even throws him the rotation after the All-Star break. Well, then we obviously know he's, he's sticking around uh, to finish out uh, th- this year with the Spurs. So that's kind of we'll, we'll watch the, now in the next two weeks uh, when it comes to some of the players and, and their and their movement. All right, Stephen, let's just spend a, a, f- a few quick minutes here on um, the last player I want to talk about just just because his play has been uh, pretty good lately. That's Dejounte Murray. Um, looking at his, at his uh, what is I think it's his third year or fourth year here, uh, but you know it's his, his second you know his, his good healthy year should I say um, after after the after the um, unfortunate um, injury last that he had that he had suffered so. Like I mentioned, against OKC, he scores 25 points, a career high, shoots 9 and 12 from the floor. Um, over the Overall for the year, he's playing about 25 minutes a night, scoring 10 points, shooting 49% from the floor, 38% from three, um, taking about one and a half threes. He really only takes them if he's wide open, and he has to. Uh, 1.7 free throw attempts. Um, Four assists on offense, 1.9 turnovers. Turnover is a little bit of an issue. He's His turnover percentage is about 15.5% according to cleaning the glass, which is in the 20th percentile. Uh, on wide open threes, he's taken 55 this year, and he's made 40 percent of them. So he's 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 an efficient shooter from the wide open three. Uh, offensive rebound percentage, he's doing a great job helping out on the boards. He's in the 90th percentile amongst all point guards. His mid range jumper is money. He's shooting 48.7 percent from mid range, which is eighth overall amongst players that have taken at least um, 115 mid range attempts. His profile is basically to first, you know, try to attack the rim. Second, take a mid range jumper. Third shoot a non-restricted area shot, and then fourth is take the three. So the three is obviously his last choice. Uh, he's second on the team in drives. Um, offense is obviously the area still where he's going to struggle a little bit, where um, the team doesn't score as well on offense when he's out there on 109.5 points per 100. And then on according to, to the B-ball index, player impact plus minus, they're minus 0.2 on offense when he's out there on the floor. Um, just kind of let's focus on offense first because the defense number is going to be a lot better for DeJounte. What have you thought about his offense um, just the whole season? Well, I mean, he struggled to start the season because obviously you're coming off that ACL and I mean, no one's going to be healthy and fully ready to go coming off an ACL. Let's just, just be real about that. But I mean, we've seen his confidence grow from the start of the season to now. He's, I mean, like, like I said in the beginning of the show, Paul, that, that dunk from, and that thunderous dunk in OKC kind of shows what he can do at his full potential. Um, I did feel a little bit he was kind of limiting himself because he was under, under that minutes restriction where I think it was five minutes per quarter. So I felt like he was trying to do too much when he was out there because he knew, hey, I, I got to do what I can now because I'm under minutes restriction. When that was lifted, I think we saw him a little bit more looser, a lot more uh, capable of doing what he wants to do. Uh, I, t- I think it took a while for his confidence to really get there on the offensive end. Uh, he, we saw him sh- like hesitant to p- do that to his, his jumper a little bit. Uh, he wasn't really driving much to start, but now he's playing a lot better. Uh, obviously, he's he's getting a l- he's scoring. He was he almost had a triple double 
in uh, his first career, tri- he almost had his first career triple double. Um, so I mean, it shows that he he has the skills. He reminds me of a Russell Westbrook, but without being a ball hog. So um, you know, it, I think he just has very good skills, and I think that this season's only going to help him moving forward. Yeah, and one thing I was looking at, you know, I, I spoke a little bit about his offense lately, and, and again, my my big question is for him going forward is, uh, you know, can he continue to sustain this more aggressive style when De, when DeRozan gets back and in, in, um, you know after the All Star break? That's kind of what I, I'm, I'm eager to watch because we've seen what he he does now when he's the primary ball handler, and it's obviously it brings out the most of his offensive game. Um, so there's a similarity tool that bball index uh, index dot com has, and it's basically like taking a player's style on in the offensive half court. And it's kind of showing where their numbers match up with with other players in the past, and so here's this, the, the the numbers that and the players that it spits out the comparisons to Dejounte. Again, this is only on offense in the half court. And tell me if you see this a little bit or if you disagree totally with any of these players. It spits out um, Eric Bledsoe, Will Barton, Corey Joseph, and also Alfred Payton. Do you see any of those players in Dejounte's game so far from overall? Or is listen that to me one more off? time. Okay, Alfred Payton, Eric Bledsoe, mm-hmm. Will Barton. Corey Joseph. Uh, I maybe see a Corey Joseph in there only because he likes to drive the paint and Corey Joseph also likes to drive the paint. Uh-huh. Um, I don't see an Eric Bledsoe because Eric Bledsoe is a very good three-point shooter and DeJounte's not really there defense uh, there from three yet. But I, I could see – I see more of a Corey Joseph in him where Corey Joseph would hit that occasional three – he drove more of the paint than anybody else that I knew when the Spurs, uh, anybody was backing up Tony Parker at that one year, those for a couple of years there. So, I mean, I see more of a Corey Joseph vibe from him. I mean, that's not saying that he's going to stay like a Corey Joseph forever, but I mean, for right now, that's what I see. Yeah. And, you know, again, these are not saying that this is exactly who DeJounte's playing. Like. This is just saying based on his numbers and the kind of shots he takes, the areas, you know, on offense, uh, where his half court style. And this is only focusing too on the half court. This is even taking into account that DeJounte can get out on the fast break. These are just kind of the players that he plays like when he's out there, according to the numbers who he's most matched up with. And I kind of agree a little bit with the Alfred Payton, the fact that like he's got close to that triple double, like you mentioned. I think Alfred Payton has had a few or gotten close also in, in triple doubles. And then Eric Bledsoe too. And I think that the, the key thing you see here is that a lot of these players are more mid range jumpers shooters and that's kind of what DeJounte is he's starting to show himself as being a mid-range jump shooter so early on even though he can't shoot the three well he doesn't take a lot of threes unless he really has to like we mentioned earlier now let's go over to the area where he has his most strengths um and that's obviously defense where he's he's having a, a good year here even despite the team around him having a bad year um grabbing 5.8 rebounds on defensive rebound percentage he's in the 100th percentile again as a guard this is something he did when he was healthy um two years ago uh, he's grabbing 1.6 steals a game, which is in the 98th percentile against point guards, uh, according to Cleaning the Glass. His defensive rating is not great because, again, he's he's around um, just the lineup he's out there with is not good defensively. They're at 114.8 points for 100. When you strip it down to the player impact plus minus um, data, he is a, they're they're a, they're 0.4, uh, you know, holding the, the other team below. Uh, according to that metric when DeJounte's on the floor. So that one kind of uh, grades him pretty well. Um, and then his perimeter degrade, um, perimeter defense is a B plus. And then his interior defensive grade is a D minus, which of course we don't expect DeJounte to have to play interior defense. So um, again, that's where, that's kind of where his numbers are um, on defense. And you know, what's weird is again, going back to, to, to that similarity tool that B-ball index has, check this out, Steven. When, when you plug in DeJounte, some of his defensive numbers on, on that, on that tool, Look at some of the players he he turns out to to, to have similar defensive um, numbers to Jay Crowder, uh, Trevor Ariza, 
Josh Akogi from Timberwolves and Andre Godala. Uh, so what do you think about that? The, the, the numbers that I read you first of all, but then also the, some of these like more wing wing type defenders that he's kind of, uh, you know, having very much similar style in numbers. I'm going to combine both of those answers together and just yeah, say go ahead, go ahead. that, yeah, yeah. yeah that basically I see that I see shades of Andre Iguodala. I see shades of Jay Crowder and Jay and Jay Crowder is one of the better defend perimeter defenders in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a very, very solid defender. Uh, Andre Iguodala, obviously he's up there in age now Iggy is, but he's a very good defender for his age. I mean, he is. And I think DeJounte Murray is and I don't, I don't mean to say this guy's name, the old number two Kawhi Leonard, but I mean, uh, DeJounte reminds me a little bit of Kawhi in that sense where he, Kawhi sees the past before it happens. And we've seen DeJounte see the past before it happens. And he had four steals in that uh, win against Charlotte before the road trip. So he kind of was one of the main cogs, and he was one of my standout players from that game, actually, where he, he defensively, he kind of set the tone defensively for that comeback when the Spurs were down, I think, double digits, and they had to rally back to win that game. So, I mean, DeJounte set the tone defensively, and his perimeter defense, uh, he's easily the Spurs' best defender on the perimeter. Inside, Yakba Pirtle's the Spurs' best defender. So, I mean, it's it's I, I like that DeJounte has shades of those defenders in him, and I definitely see that. Now, if, we can, if they can put a nicer team around him, as you said, I think this team could really turn things around in the future. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to in, in the second, the last 28 games of these of the Spurs season is does Pop play more the more the the Derek White, DeJounte Murray lineups more often? He started to do a little bit more in certain games uh, before, you know, as as the, as the Rodeo Road Chip has come along. We've seen Pop throw in um, Derek and DeJounte to close out games. So I do want to see more more data on that. You know, what does that lineup really look like in real minutes and, and in, in multiple games? Because it doesn't happen in multiple games. It's just like, uh, you know, once one fourth quarter he'll do it or, or once um, second quarter, something like that. You know, it's just very random. We also haven't seen DeJounte, Derek, and, and Lonnie, the three Spurs' best defenders perim- on the perimeter, play together. We just really haven't seen that. I think we've only seen it like, like, like two times maybe this whole this whole season. So that rarely happens as well. So I am eager to see uh, does Pop tinker with the lineups when they come back from All-Star break and, and put in some of his better defender lineups and see if that, how, how much of a difference that makes. You know, Even if it's not enough to get them to the playoffs, just see what it looks like just so that you can start kind of having some, some sample data for next year uh, when, when the team, um, you know, well, for next year's season's team. All right, Stephen, thank you again for joining me for SpursCast episode 570. SpursCast sisters, if you are on um, Twitter, please follow him at the Stephen A underscore. And it's at the Stephen A underscore. So before we end this episode, I want to remind you all to visit productspurs.com. Um, that article that Stephen and I both referenced um, multiple times was by Fernando Garcia. It's called, um, you know, he talks about how the Spurs' blown leads have, have hurt their playoff chances. And again, there's a lot of good data that Fernando pulled in there in, in his research uh, for that piece. Uh, my latest work is on what the Spurs' record looked like after 53 games, which it, there hadn't been a similar record since the year before they drafted Tim Duncan. Benjamin Bornstein, um, he's his latest prospect watch is over uh, Sadiq Bay of Villanova. And this might be the first year where Ben actually gets to, to project a lottery pick for the Spurs and have to, to scout them. Yeah, because, I mean, based on where they're at right now, yeah, he's got, he has a lot of homework up, Ben, to, to, to really have to scout all these players. And actually, I'm going to have to get if, – if the Spurs, if we do find out, you know, within the, uh, the next few weeks of the season as – I mean – uh, when we come back from All-Star break, and let's just say the Spurs, we, we kind of know that the, that the writing's on the wall, that they're not going to make the playoffs. We'll know pretty early on um, in, in either late February or also early March what their destiny is. So then even me, like I think we're going to have to start, Stephen, we're going to have to actually start watching a lot more college basketball and start looking at who these young yep. prospects are on the lottery because that's kind of what we have to start scouting if the Spurs aren't able to get it together. And that's kind of weird, too, to have to say that so early <laughs> in the year. But that's kind of the kind of Take March Madness more seriously. Yeah, I never do. And so now I'm going to actually have to know these who these players are on the lottery area. So, yeah, I'm going to have to really, and we're all going to have to rely on 
on Ben. He has a, a big assignment ahead of him this coming draft uh, if the Spurs don't make the playoffs and they end up getting a lottery pick. Uh, Steven continues to keep you updated after each game with anal- with his analysis. Uh, and then, as always, uh, sign up to become a Project Spurs Premium member so you can get access to our different databases that are updated after each Spurs game. This episode was written and recorded by me, Paul Garcia. As always, thank you to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode. For Steven Anderson, I am Paul Garcia. Thank you. Have a great day.